Hi, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, and welcome to the Passion Mama podcast. Each episode, I interview a guest about modern motherhood to address its challenges, but more importantly, to celebrate its opportunities. From prenatal experts to postnatal health specialists, nutritionists, mums, and mums to be, I ask them to share their insights and stories with us. Welcome to Passion Mama in Conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Passion Mama podcast in conversation. Um, I'm really looking forward to this chat uh, today with NHS midwife, who is also a personal trainer, Emily Pullen. Hi, Emily. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so those of you who don't know, Emily has been um, part of the Passion Mama pop-ups um, these last few weeks. She's joining us tomorrow and she was with us um, at our first event on the 25th of January, um, basically delivering a talk on kind of just a discussion, informal chit-chat really, wasn't it? Yeah, like- it was just me kind of like rambling on about birth and pregnancy and everything in between really. Yeah, and we love we love a good ramble. So we're just going to try and basically do much of the same right here, right now, <laughs> if that's okay. Exactly. Um, I can just ramble on forever, so just stop me whenever. We will. We have a time limit, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, I've got a list of one, two, three, four, five, nine questions um, that are really, really random and kind of pulled from all over, and I'm just going to shoot them at you and see see what lands. Gosh, right. I hope I um I should, maybe I should have done some revision. No, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> okay. So my first question to you is about the flu jab. Um, now, I don't have the flu jab normally anyway, but is it recommended and should women have it when they're pregnant? Yes, it's definitely something that we recommend women have, especially um, in flu season. So that's usually starts around kind of September, October time until kind of um, March, April. We definitely recommend women get the flu jab because in pregnancy, your immune system is kind of suppressed um, and you're more likely to, to get ill. And then also, if you were to contract something like the flu, then you kind of the symptoms become worse for you. Um, and basically, we just really don't want you to become unwell and hospitalized or kind of dehydrated or anything. Um, so definitely, you know, anyone who's at risk, so pregnant people, um, elderly people, um, we definitely recommend getting the flu jab. So definitely one to add to the list. Good to know. Yeah. Um, And when you're pregnant, uh, the common phrase "eating for two" comes around. But I don't know if that's is that is that is that actually true? Do you end up eating for two, and should you eat for two, or no, definitely not. So I think that's quite like an old-fashioned or old wives' tale that you should eat for two. Um, Technically, if you have like a well-rounded kind of balanced diet then you shouldn't need to increase like what you're eating. You might just need to take a little look at your diet and make sure you're getting all the right nutrition and the different kind of like types of um, food from different food groups. Um, So it might be a good idea to look at that, but you definitely don't need to eat for two. You might find that you're more hungry, so you might need to intake, you know, your... um, update your kind of calories that you have per day um especially if you in the postnatal period if you're then breastfeeding um it is advised you know just again keep an eye on your nutrition and make sure you're kind of hitting all those right kind of food groups and getting the right amount of calories oh i'm slightly disappointed i know everyone always looks forward to pregnancy and they can suddenly eat loads but no um unfortunately not and then if you imagine you know all if you do eat for two and you end up putting on more weight, you know, weight gain is normal in pregnancy. But if you put on excessive weight, then that's only then weight that you're going to lose then postnatally. And it might make your recovery a little bit longer and a bit harder. 
Yeah. Is there um is there like a, a recommended amount of weight that people put on during pregnancy? <laughs> Not really. I mean, there used to be guidelines, um, but, but now we, we don't we don't say anything because um, you know, it's irrelevant how much a woman weighs. Um, as to whether their pregnancy is kind of progressing well or not um, and that we think that it just adds kind of more anxiety and fear around pregnancy when there's enough anyway um, usually we just weigh a woman at her booking appointments that's her first ever appointment at when she goes to see her midwife um, usually around kind of six weeks gestation you'll go and see your midwife and you'll have like a very long appointment which is yeah usually about an hour and we take your blood we ask you loads of questions about your medical history and any kind of pregnancy history um and that's when we'll then weigh you but it'll only be to work out your bmi and then kind of choose which pathway is right for you but we don't then weigh people at all then for the rest of their pregnancy okay cool um what what is a birth plan and should one have one Okay, so there's a lot of um, controversy at the moment around the word birth plan, because obviously then people want things to go to plan and you then have something rigid and you want this and that and you don't want epidural and you only want your partner in the room. Whereas actually we prefer to now call it birth preferences and you can almost have like different options. So if I was to go into labour naturally, then I would like X, Y and Z, preferably. Whereas if I need an induction, then I would perhaps like X, Y, and Z. So we think it's a good idea for people to start thinking about what kind of preference they might want um, in pregnancy and labor. Just, you know, the basic things. What kind of pain relief do you think you might want? Um, But it's always good to be open to other options, you know, and also what kind of position you might want to be in um, when you deliver, who you want with you. Like, do you want any music? That All of those kind of things, just little things. It's quite a good idea just to start writing down if you've got a better idea but I would definitely discourage people from having a proper kind of rigid birth plan a lot of people come in with it uh, laminated and it's there and it's out and bless them always the partners they're like well this was part of the plan and the woman saying get me an epidural and then the bless and the partners just say well in the plan you said you really 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 didn't want an epidural and he's trying to you know fight for her and be an advocate for her her plan and her choices but we just have to be mindful that things change so um, yeah. I would definitely call it birth preferences, not plan. That's a good way to look at it. And who mm-hmm. who, who would talk you through the, the different options or preferences that you might have available to you? Is that, is that what you so, do? Yeah, so you, um, at your midwife appointments when you're pregnant, um, you'll see a midwife quite regularly. Um, and you can, you know, usually nearing the end of pregnancy, around the 36-week gestation, you might start talking about birth preferences and perhaps where you'd like to deliver. So we've got most hospitals have a a delivery suite, which is where you can have your epidural. It's kind of obstetric run, so it's by um, doctors. Um, And that's kind of where, excuse me, where kind of high risk people go or people who want an epidural. Um, There's also like a birth centre, and that's where you can go and maybe use um, a pool, so like a water birth, and you can't get an epidural there, and it's midwifery run. Um, so there's just midwives, no doctors. Um, some um, you can have your baby at home. That's also an option. So you'd be you'd probably need to decide that early on in pregnancy. So you can kind of be seen by the home birth team and they can kind of prepare you and prepare your home and all of those kind of things. Um, and some places out of London also have kind of um, birth centres which are not located in a hospital. So they're what we call kind of standalone um, birth centres and they can be lovely. They're almost what we call a home from home. So it's kind of still a medical setting, but still feels much like home. 
Oh, that's nice. I didn't really know about those. Yeah, so there's loads and loads of options. So, you know, a lot of people do research themselves or they'll do antenatal classes or antenatal education um, and they'll talk about birth preferences there. But definitely, if you've got any questions and always ask your midwife and they'll hopefully, you know, we're always quite um, time um, constricted in the appointments. I think it's usually 20 minutes. So there's quite a lot to get through. So sometimes we would like to be able to educate women on, in things, but perhaps may might be missed sometimes. So please do, you know, I always advise women to ask questions if they had anything. And you touched on this already. Um, why would someone opt for a water birth? Um, well, and water birth is not for everyone. Some people love would love the idea of a water birth. Some people think that it's absolutely a no-no. And why would they want to get in a big tub of water when they're labouring? Um, so um, it just depends where you feel most comfortable. Some people feel very safe and very comfortable in their own home, in, you know, uh, in a blow up pool in their kitchen. That's where they feel the safest, where some people feel very, very safe if they're on a medical ward, surrounded by doctors and all all the drugs they can get. It just depends on your preference. I know personally that I would feel, you know, at home and, and comfortable either in my own home or in a birth centre. And I love water anyway. So the idea of being in water, it's like just a warm bath and it can definitely help with um, with pain relief um, and it can just keep you more calm and just let everything kind of progress. And that, you know, there's a lot to be said of um, basically warm water will kind of relax all your muscles and help you to labour um, more efficiently. But also the warm water will then kind of warm your perineum. So your perineum is a bit in between your kind of birth canal and your back passage so as that's all stretching to kind of make room for baby then there, there there's no evidence but um there's kind of like a an anecdotal um evidence to say that warm water in that area can help things to stretch a little bit easier okay so it's really yeah so as you say it's a preferential thing and it's more of like a, a calming effect on the mother exactly yeah yeah exactly yeah. completely some people's preference are just a no-no or even some people had in their birth preference that they did want to water birth and the moment they get there and they see it they're like no it's not for me and that's also fine okay. you can change your mind at any point and you can water birth at the hospital yes yeah um depends what kind of um facilities your hospital has um in our the hospital i work out we've only got um a birth pool on the birth center some delivery suites will have um birth pools for like more high risk women, but they still want them to be able to use a birth pool. And you can obviously have a, a blow up birth pool um, at home or you can even just get in the bath or in the shower. Cool. Um, talk me through uh, hypnobirthing. What is hypnobirthing? Um, hypnobirthing is kind of a, it's a word that's being kind of branded around at the moment. <laughs> and hypnobirthing, it's basically just a sense of calm and a sense of being prepared for what's going to happen to your body and almost giving yourself over to what's about to happen so a lot of people um see labor and birth as like very painful and it's like it's all pain and it you you, you almost need help and you need to be treated whereas hypnobirthing is the idea that this is a this is a natural process um and you're just you almost surrender your body to it and then hopefully in the view of staying more calm and then laboring more efficiently so 
um, a lot of preparation is needed if you do want to hypnobirth. So usually you'll um, see kind of a hypnobirthing specialist antenatally and they might recommend some kind of breathing exercises. Um, it will just be kind of other kind of um, positive like birth affirmations. Um, and yeah, they might give you some things to kind of recite um, and also some breathing exercises so that when you do, you know, go into labour, then you're kind of prepared and you can then put all of the, that positivity and the breathing exercise into into use, really. So it's like kind of like meditative practice. Yes. Yeah. And it's just about remaining calm. And hypnobirthing isn't just for people who are, you know, having a water birth or a home birth. You can hypnobirth through anything. You know, you can you can hypnobirth through your elective cesarean section. It's, it's basically just a, a state of mind and a preparation for birth and for what's about to happen and to kind of stay calm. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's for anyone and everyone. And even if you did plan to have a water birth and then you do get transferred and have to go to theatre, you can still keep an essence of that, you know, hypnobirthing um, in your in your in your birth. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Change of track here. Change of tack here. Um, <laughs> where uh, can you travel when you're pregnant? Yes. So you can. Um, we would always recommend if you are traveling, always take your maternity notes with you. So you get given like a little book and it keeps all your scans and all your appointments in. So we would always recommend wherever you go, even if you're going to work, even if you're going to your parents house if you're going abroad take your maternity notes with you wherever you go you'd have to check um especially in your third trimester if you're planning on traveling you need to check the um with the airline as to what they advise or not we usually recommend just for safety not to travel if you're you know in your third trimester nearing your due date but for insurance reasons you'd have to check with the airline provider there's obviously no risks associated with travel um so it it's fine. It's not like anything's going to happen, but um, it would just be the risk of going into labour. You know, when you're in the middle of like a six-hour flight, um, wouldn't be ideal somewhere somewhere yeah. above the Atlantic. Um, <laughs> and also, when you're um, pregnant, you're um, at an increased risk of getting a blood clot um, just because of your circulation changes. So obviously, going on a plane, you know, people wear those kind of flight stockings. Um, that's to help with kind of getting all the circulation around your around your body so we would recommend if anyone's going on long-term travel so that could either be like a, a long-term car journey or you know like a train or a flight obviously then we would recommend putting on those kind of um uh, flight stockings and that's from right at the beginning of the pregnancy i would do i would do just because of the circulation changing um changes happening to your body in pregnancy yeah we just want to kind of avoid any risk of getting a blood clot and there's no risk of, I guess, um, increased miscarriage in travelling in those first three months? I, I I can't say I know the exact evidence behind it, but there's nothing that I'm aware of. But obviously, if people are worried, you know, if, if it's not, you know, essential travel, then, you know, you don't need to do it. If it's going to cause you more anxiety, um, then, you know, I wouldn't advise it but um, if you are worried then do speak to your midwife or your GP um, and then see what they recommend. I guess it's all um, dependent on your medical history and how your pregnancy is developing and um, any risk factors that you might be kind of um, going through so I would just I would each case is individual so I would just recommend speaking to your healthcare provider. Um, and actually coming on to the rather sensitive topic but important one of miscarriage how common is miscarriage? 
Yeah, so it is, unfortunately, it is quite a common thing now. So I think the stats at the moment are, are one in four women may experience a miscarriage at some point in their life. Unfortunately, when we, we see women coming through the hospital and, you know, if we meet a lady in labour, we'll have a look back through her her pregnancy history and almost everyone now that I see might have had some kind of some kind of miscarriage so yeah it is one in four that we know of but I think it is more common than people think um, and obviously with the fact that people now don't really want to tell anyone they're pregnant until after they've had their scan um, so it's kind of a bit of a, a hush hush topic but I think it is getting a little bit more airtime and people are starting to be a little bit more open um, especially with it becoming increasingly common um, and yeah fertility issues and all of that so yeah unfortunately it is it is common. So if you do um, um, experience a miscarriage do you how, what's the process do you go to your doctor do you go to your GP do you tell them do you go to hospital how does it work? So it just depends how the miscarriage is diagnosed. So some people might go for their scan and then, you know, they had a, a positive pregnancy test and then there's no heartbeat. So that's how some people might find out. So that's what we call a missed miscarriage that they didn't know. Some people might then start bleeding um, and then they kind of almost pass, um, you know, pass the baby that way especially if it's very early you know around that six to eight week mark then some people might just bleed and then it might just come away it all depends on your individual case and how many weeks gestation you are when you do miscarry sometimes um, they might give you some um, kind of tablets um, which you then take and then you'll go home and um, that will all happen at home or sometimes what um, might need to happen is you go into hospital and they kind of help you um, to kind of evacuate which sounds an awful word um like the products which are in your uterus because sometimes your body doesn't doesn't release it effectively so you can't pass it so again it just depends and obviously the the um the you know the how, depends how many weeks you are if you're further along in your pregnancy then you would be then you know admitted into hospital and then you'd be given the care that you um you know you need to pass the baby and to, 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 to sometimes deliver especially if it's kind of um, more fully formed then yeah gosh and because it's such a it is such a common thing but yeah I, like people still you know I really struggle to um know what to say to friends or friends of friends who I know who've gone through this what what is the right thing to say um not that there's one one right thing but what could one say to somebody who's who's been who's experienced that um, so I once got told that um, losing a baby, whether you lose a baby at six weeks or at 39 weeks, you still lost a baby, which I think is really important to get your head around so that, you know, if someone's mourning over a miscarriage that they've had at six weeks, that's still really significant to them. Yes, they might not have bought the pram yet and they haven't started showing and got a tummy and they haven't told everyone they're pregnant, but that's still a loss for them. So I think that's just really important to kind of be mindful of that they're mourning then that they're not going to be a mum. They're all those you know ideas that they had about you being pregnant and their due date and all of that they're still mourning that whole situation I would always if you know my friend or someone I know was going through it, I'd always ask them and say is there anything I can do for you you know can I help you or would you like and ask them how would you like me to you know um discuss this with you would you like me to call um your loss a a baby or a fetus or whatever some people have really um strong preferences especially if they miscarry a bit later and they might know the sex of the baby have they given it a name would they like you to call it, it, him or her or by its name i always just think there's 
it's better to not be embarrassed about these things and kind of be open and say or even say I don't really know what to say like I'm really sorry you've gone through this I don't know what to say and just say would you like a hug or can I do anything or would you like to come round to mine for dinner or can I drop over a lasagna or just something yeah I think just doing something is better than nothing um and take your lead from them if you start talking about and they really don't want to talk about it then that's absolutely fine but again they might not want to talk about it immediately but six months down the line they might want to talk about it so I think always just keep it keep it open take your lead from them and just ask them what what would you like me to do how can I help you yeah that's good advice thank you you're welcome um so back to um birthing and birth preferences um who's actually in the room with you for the birth so um, you can have whoever you want. Most hospitals say you can only have two birth partners just because obviously the room gets a little bit busy. So you can have whoever you like. You can have your best friends. You can have your partner. You can not have your partner. It's not for everyone. Some people don't want their partners there and some partners don't want to be there because they don't think they're going to be much help. Um, or you can just do it on your own. We have a lot of women coming through our doors who don't have anyone or don't want anyone with them. So they're on their own. Um, but in terms of medical um, help, Um, If everything progresses um, with no complications, then it will just be you and your midwife in the room. So midwife can single handedly deliver the baby. Um, Obviously, the mum delivers the baby and the midwife just assists. Um, If there is any complications or if we need a little bit of help, we might call in for a second midwife. A lot of hospitals have a um, protocol that if a woman's delivering in the pool, so in the water, um, then you need two midwives just in case there was a need to get her out of the pool and we might need a little bit more help. Um, also sometimes you might need doctor's input so you might have a doctor come in especially if there's going to be an assisted delivery so that means some kind of instrument like a uh, what we call a ventouse which is a suction cup on the back of baby's head or the forceps midwives don't do that the doctor will Um, so sometimes it can be a very busy room sometimes it can just be you and your midwife which is lovely so I guess the relationship between you and your midwife has to be quite good right yeah definitely yeah Yeah. sometimes you might you might never meet your midwife until you're literally about to deliver and obviously with shifts changing and everything sometimes you can literally be midway through pushing and then the shift changes and you've got a new midwife so you have to develop a relationship really quickly obviously that's you know more responsible um on the midwife to make you feel at ease and um to make you feel comfortable um but sometimes hopefully most of the time you might have at least a few hours to kind of develop a relationship talk about your birth preferences before you know your baby then does arrive yeah so that was actually going to be my next question when do you actually meet your midwife but you're saying it just could be on the night yeah unfortunately so um there is um hopefully a push at the moment towards um continuity of care so that's basically caseloading um so midwives will get together in kind of small teams and then hopefully provide all your antenatal and then your labor care and then postnatally so you should hopefully know your midwife um before you deliver but obviously somewhere like london that's actually quite hard to kind of to staff and to regulate so often well at the moment i'm working on the delivery suite and i don't do any antenatal or any postnatal care so i will only meet women when when I care for them in labor so unfortunately sometimes you do just you just meet them on the morning and then you're with them for 12 hours and you might not deliver your baby on their shift or you might do yeah wow that's that's incredible yeah I know midwives are very good we're very nosy so we're always like so where did you guys meet and like um when did he propose or like was this a planned pregnancy so we we always like a bit of chatter um so we definitely create a bond quite quickly good 
Um, and I've got one final question for you. Yes. Um, why do pregnant women always sit on a Swiss ball? <laughs> it seems to be all over Instagram at the moment, as far as what I'm seeing anyway. Is that um, in pregnancy or in labour? In pregnancy. In pregnancy. So yeah. th there is there is a lot to be said for um, sitting on a ball helps you kind of sit upright, whereas in a chair you might be inclined to slouch a little bit. However, I think in pregnancy, basically, because of all your hormones, your all your kind of um, your muscles and everything are a little bit more loose and everything is, needs to obviously stretch and make room for baby. And obviously your kind of hips need to widen um, to get ready for birth. So everything's kind of a little bit more supple. And I always think if you're a little bit unstable anyway, why put an unstable object, sorry to call women objects, on an unstable surface? Like, I, I personally don't think that um, it, it can be that beneficial. I mean, it might help you to sit more upright. It might help baby get in the right position. People, you know, kind of bounce on these balls. I've never heard anyone to kind of be able to bounce their baby out or put themselves into labor through bouncing. Um, but <laughs> I think it might just be one of those things that people see um, and just kind of jump on the bandwagon with. But I don't think there's any evidence to show that it it helps with anything um and you know we don't want women to fall off these these birth balls but um they can they can help you stay mobile i guess but um yeah i it, i guess it's your preference whether you whether you want to bounce on one then go for it but i don't know if it's going to do any any good <laughs> got it um that's it and thank you so much oh you're welcome i love chatting with you um i will see you tomorrow at the pop-up oh wonderful thank, thank you so much Thank